they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 29th of January, 2021. Thank you all for joining us. And um, something I've been remiss in doing, and that is asking the angels to join us here. So we begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Sanctus, 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 Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenis Uncelia Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in Excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. And we ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten us. And I promised at the end of the Terry and Jesse show that we'd talk about women in the New Testament. You did. But we also want to talk, as we usually do, about the, the gospel for today. In addition to that, we're still in the book of Hebrews. For and that's a great book. Mary, tell us a little bit for the sake of those who aren't aware of uh, the book of Hebrews and how important that book is. And I know that Martin Luther didn't particularly care for it, but the bottom line is there's so much teaching in that book. Well, it's, it's a very powerful book, and it definitely um, backs up the claim and, and, and I, um, how do you say that, um, exposes and expounds on the claim that Jesus Christ is truly God. He's not an angel. Um, he's not some kind of a third creature like Arius taught that he's neither God nor man. Right. No, he's truly man, but he's truly God. He's the son of God who became man. And he's not an angel. And the, the book of Hebrews make that ex- abundantly clear. Right. And um, in, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, as, as Monsignor said, you know, there was some question about the authorship of Hebrews. The teaching is definitely the same teaching that Paul the Apostle oh, big gives. Time. Big time. And, and people say, well, well, how could it be? It's so different than the other mm. books. Well, all of Paul's other books, all of his other letters were written to pagan audiences. Right. Hebrews isn't li- written to a pagan audience. It's written to the Hebrews. Yeah. It's a way to show the Hebrews that, yes, Christ truly fulfills. In, in addition to the Gospel of Matthew, then we have the book of Hebrews to show the Hebrews how Christ fulfills everything that was talked about in about about the Messiah in the prophets, how all of that was fulfilled. And uh, we did a Bible study two weeks ago yep. on Hebrews, just a brief overview, especially the beginning of Hebrews, to show how it clearly expounds that Jesus Christ truly is God. Now, in the son of, by saying son of God, we don't mean he's any less than the father. We, we believe as Christians, we believe in one God with three divine persons. The greatest mystery of our faith, that God is one and, and he is also Trinity. He's three persons, three distinct persons, not three um, manifestations of Godhead. It's, it's one God with, and there are three persons in God, that mm-hmm. God is, is actually a community of love and life from all eternity. And we didn't make God, God existed and he made us, and he's the one who revealed himself to us. So the book of Hebrews makes that very clear. And the book of Hebrews also goes into some very other important aspects of our Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And I think today's reading is so important because it says, and this is from Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. Remember the days past when after you had been enlightened, you endured a great contest of suffering. At times, you were publicly exposed to abuse and affliction. At other times, you associated yourself with those so treated. You even joined in the sufferings of those in prison and joyfully 
joyfully, it says, accepted the confiscation of your property, knowing that you had a better and lasting possession. Mm. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. It will have great recompense. You need endurance to do the will of God and receive what he has promised. For after just a brief moment, he who is to come shall come. He shall not delay, but my just one shall live by faith. And if he draws back, I take no pleasure in him. We are, n- we are not among those who draw back and perish, but among those who have faith and will possess life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul is telling the Christians that they've already suffered. The very fact that they became Christian means that they were going to suffer and that they've been exposed to abuse and they've been exposed to afflictions and they've shared in the afflictions and the abuse that others have suffered because of their faith. So we're all in this together. We're all supposed to be supporting one another. Not to say, oh, just take it easy. Um, Don't try too hard. Don't make it obvious that you're a Christian. You know, you just want to fit into society and don't let anybody, you know, don't say anything that would ruffle anybody's feathers. And we're not trying to ruffle feathers. We're not trying to, you know, make people mad at us. But we need to be true witnesses to the gospel. Well, Mary, let me just jump in. This just happened. You don't even know about it. An hour before, well, an hour ago, right before the... Jesse and Terry, Terry and Jesse show, um, we have funerals here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. And the funeral home said, can I talk to you before the funeral? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. What is it? He says, well, my family's offended by the sign that you have in your church yard that says pray to end abortion. Can you please take it down? And I said, no, we're not going to take it down. I said, we stand for the unborn. I said, if there's anybody in the church who's had an abortion or doesn't like, we ask them, that that God's mercy on them because God will forgive them for doing that. If they did that, well, why? But we're not going to compromise for the unborn. We're going to keep it up. Well, it might mean that you, I can't use your church. Well, okay, no problem. Uh, we're, I told him, I said, look, I, I said 30 years ago, I got arrested for standing in front of an abortion clinic um, with Dr. Bernard Nathanson, uh, who had the largest abortion clinic in the world at, at, one, and he, time. at one time, and now he converted But the point of it is, I said, I'm not going to change now that I'm an old man because of money. You can't persuade me. And I said to the gentleman, he's a young man. He said, look, I said, the most merciless thing I can do is let someone wallow in error. This is a culture we're living in, young man, where everybody wants to get along. But what about the babies? You know what he said to me? You got a good point. Yeah. What about the babies? By standing up for life. Right. Right. that's what we got to do. And I'm not anybody extraordinary. I'm just a normal guy. But when that comes to my mind, if you're at work or you're at, at school and someone talks about, you know, abortion, stand up for the unborn, because if you don't, who will? And, and do it with charity. Absolutely. Do it with compassion. Yep. You know, uh, Terry and I have been involved in the pro-life work for years, mm-hmm. for years. And, and the reality is, is women going into abortion clinics are not looking to kill their children. Mm-mm. They're looking for help. They certainly are. Abortion is an industry. Planned Parenthood, this was marketed. They don't care who they're hurting. Nope. They only want to make money. 
And so they tell the women they have no choice. It's really not a problem. We're just removing a piece of tissue. It's not a child. It can't feel pain. And they, they don't refer to it as a child. They don't even refer to it as a fetus. It's tissue. We're just removing this little tissue. Oh, and, and, and there's no, oh, no, the, 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 the tissue can't feel any pain yet. And, of course, this is what Dr. Bernard Nathanson believed this lie and pr- promoted this lie until he did the movie The Silent Scream where he was going to prove that this was true. So he and another abortion doctor got a camera. This was back in the 70s. The late, uh, no, in the actually uh, early 80s. Early 80s. Early 80s. And they were able to attach a camera to the equipment that was going to do the abortion. And they filmed the baby. It's still on YouTube. You can watch it. You can watch it. It's called The Silent Scream. They filmed the baby. And all of a sudden, Nathanson had an awakening. He was a medical doctor who knew about the development of the baby in the womb had been able to lie to himself and convince himself that, that it wasn't a baby. It was just a piece of tissue. And when he saw the baby fighting for its life on, on camera, he could no longer deny. And it was the beginning of his conversion. And he repented of the evil he had done. And I think mm. it was, was 75,000 abortions yeah. he had personally yeah. committed. And he said, no, it was wrong. This was wrong. I was killing babies. Now, we're not condemning anyone. That sign out front, pay to end abortion, we're not condemning women who've had abortions. We know that you're suffering, and we know that your children suffered, and we know that the father of your baby is suffering. We know that a lot of people are suffering because of those abortions. We're saying there's help out there. There are people who want to help you. Please, don't kill your babies. Don't let Planned Parenthood and the big business of killing children convince you that there's no option. There are lots of options. There's always room for life. If God blesses you with a child, he will provide. If you trust in him and pray, he will provide. And if you've had an abortion, turn to the Lord and just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Remember Abby Johnson's story. Did anybody see Unplanned? Abby Johnson had had two abortions. And after she was converted, after she saw an abortion (laughs) where she had to use the ultrasound to guide because the doctor knew. When a doctor does an abortion, it's a blind procedure. He can kill a woman when he's doing this. Many women die every year from these supposedly safe, even though legal, abortions. There's nothing safe about them. It's a blind procedure. So this one doctor wouldn't do it without an ultrasound because he knew he could perforate a woman's uterus and make her bleed to death or cause her to be sterile if he did the procedure wrong. And, and Abby Johnson was called in as the head of the clinic. She was called in to, because there was no one else available to hold the ultrasound equipment. And she saw the abortion take place on the screen. And she could no longer live the lie that she was helping women. She saw it happen. She saw a baby murdered before her eyes. And she was shocked. And then she realized, and I did this to my own babies. And so she gave her babies names and she apologized to them and she turned to the Lord and said, I'm sorry. And you know what? It is that simple. That's not easy. I know it's not easy, but you know what? God loves you and he loves your baby. Give your baby a name. Tell your baby you're sorry. Tell God you're sorry and, and ask the Lord to help you to move forward in your life with his healing grace. We're not condemning women who've had abortions. No, we pray that you will experience peace and healing. Rachel's Vineyard reaches out every year to thousands of women who are finally admitting the pain that they feel inside after having an abortion. Don't let society lie to you and tell you that, oh, you shouldn't, this was fine, you shouldn't feel anything. No. 
even even a miscarriage. I've had two miscarriages. Mm-hmm. What what the doctors would label as spontaneous abortions because they were before the second trimester. And it wasn't a criminal, it wasn't a surgical induced abortion, it was a spontaneous one. The baby died. It's still painful. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back with more. We'll look briefly at the gospel and get on to women of the New Testament. Amen. You're listening to The Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Powerful Radio. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. So it's Friday, and it's the third week in Ordinary Time, and we were looking at the book of Hebrews. And again, Paul, in in this, and I say Paul, granted, there is some question about the authorship of this, but the, the teaching is definitely the teaching of Paul. They say it couldn't have been Paul because the Greek in here is so eloquent. Well, maybe Luke wrote it for him. Luke was writing, he was a secretary for Paul, and Luke mm-hmm. was a doctor, and it was great. definitely St. Paul's teachings. St. Paul's teachings. But, but the point of it is, is are we living as if we have a finality in this world, or are we living as if we have a finality in heaven? That's a good question. And, and he says a brief moment, and some people say, oh, you see, he thought the end of the world was coming immediately. Well, in comparison to eternity, and Paul would say this in one of his letters, mm-hmm. I consider the sufferings of the moment as nothing mm-hmm. in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in us yeah. in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, yeah, we have this, and, he, and he's telling us to persevere in the faith. He's making it very evident that we could lose our faith, you mm-hmm. know? Endurance, we have to, we need endurance to do the will of God. Mm-hmm. It's like an athlete, and, and Paul talks about this, the athlete training, they they. They pummel their bodies so that they can go above and beyond everyone else. Are we willing to make sacrifices? Are we willing to pray? And, and the, the, one, the one saint said, are we willing to work as if everything depended on us, yeah. but to pray as if everything depended on God? So it's God working in and through us to accomplish what he wants, but we need to allow him to do that work. And in order to do that, we have to give up our attachment to this world and to the things of this world. And the first attachment we have to give up is our attachment to sin. Hey, Mary, do you remember Father Ron Tangen? I do remember Father I know. Ron He's Tangen. a good priest. He used to put out all these St. Alphonsus Liguri books. Amen. He said to me and to you that the problem today is that we're flabby spiritually. Yeah. Spiritually flabby. We have not exercised. And you I mean, you look at the saints before and the sacrifices they make, and we're like, what? How did they do it? But I think modern living is really a challenge for the spiritual life. It is a challenge. And as a matter of fact, the, the spiritual writers have said city living yeah. is a challenge for the spiritual That's life. Right. Because in city living, you live comfortably physically and you don't have to work so hard. Out on the farm, when a, a rural, cultural, agrarian, you worked hard mm. 16 to 18 hours a day just to provide a living. Mm. And But the deal is, that spiritual flabbiness, for those of us who live in the city who don't have to do that hard physical work, we should be, the extra time we have shouldn't be spent in entertainment and listening to the news. We should be studying our faith, studying the catechism, studying the scriptures, doing holy hours, meditating on the passion of Christ. The saints have said that one continuous hour a meditation on the passion of Christ is more efficacious than a year of fasting on bread and water. Wow. And remember, the fasting and the penances that the saints did didn't come because they decided, well, I'm going to do this to prove how much I love God. They fell in love with God, and then they followed the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as to what penances he wanted them to do. Okay? 
So we fall in love with God first. Ask God for that grace to fall in love with him and spend time every day meditating on the passion of Christ. There are some people who make it a practice to pray the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary every day so that every day they're meditating on the passion of Christ. By the way, the saints also encourage never just meditate on the passion of Christ. Always go to the glorious mysteries afterwards because it's not just about suffering. It's about the glory that will be revealed in us, which is the same glory that's revealed in Christ because Christ shares his glory with us. So all of that, and let's live as if we have a finality outside of this world, a finality in heaven with Christ at the right hand, who is at the right hand of God because he is God. So we have Mark's gospel where Jesus tells the crowd, and this is Mark 4, 26 to 34. This is how it is with the kingdom of God. It is if a man were to scatter seed on the land and would sleep and rise night and day, the seed would sprout and grow. He knows not how. Of its own accord, the land yields first fruit, first the blade, then the ear, then full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, he wields the sickle, for the harvest has come. He also said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can I use for it? It is like a mustard seed, that when sown in the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. But once it is sown, it springs up to become the largest of plants and puts forth its branches so that the birds of the sky can dwell in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to understand. Without parables, he did not speak to them, but to his own disciples, he explained everything in private, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus is telling us the word of God is planted in us. Well, when we're baptized and then the preaching of the gospel, when we hear the gospel, and we have to allow that to take root in our souls. In order for that to happen, we have to remove the obstacles. We need to give up our sins. We need to give up our own will to the will of God. And so that seed will grow. And, and the moral meaning of this is that the, um, the, the maturing grain signifies our increase in virtue. First, the seed of good intentions are sown. These gradually bring forth the blade of repentance and ultimately the mature ear, mature ear of charitable works. When established in virtue, we are made ripe for God's harvest. So God calls us, okay? He calls us. And remember, Paul says, it is God who inspires in you any measure of good intention or accomplishment. It is God who has accomplished everything that we have done. Any good we do comes from God. Any good that's done in this world is done because it was inspired first by God and God helps us to carry it out and he brings it to full fruition. We don't need the devil's help to do evil. Because of original sin, we're inclined to evil. So we need to ask for the grace of final perseverance and the grace to persevere in God's grace every day and to grow in virtue. But most of all, the grace to be docile to God, to allow God to work in and through us to do his work in us, to allow the Holy Spirit to come to f- be able to do his work fully and freely in us. There's a book called The Sanctifier. It was written by Louis Martinez, Bishop Louis Martinez. And I would recommend everyone to read that. It talks about the working of the Holy Spirit in our soul. Very profound book. It used to be in the Militia Maculata. We, we, did, a, uh, we, we did studies on The Sanctifier. We would go through The Sanctifier and Sally Wood, God have mercy on her soul, for years and years and years, she studied this book, and it's all about how the Holy Spirit works in us to sanctify us. So you want to look at that. It's called The Sanctifier by Bishop Luis Martinez. He's from Mexico. It was originally written in, in Spanish, and it was translated. And so we have this 
this reality that we want God to work in and through us. And that kind of leads us, well, not kind of, it does lead us into today's topic, which is women of the New Testament. And of course, when we think of the women of the New Testament, who is first and foremost in that? The Blessed Virgin Mary. The Blessed Virgin Mary is that woman who brings forth. She is the first, she's the Ark of the New Covenant. So she's the Ark of the New Testament. Because remember, the Word of God is first and foremost a person. And Mary carried the Word of God in her womb for nine months. Who is she? Who is she that comes forth like the morning rising? Fair as the moon, bright as the sun, terrible as an army set in battle array. Who is this woman? Now, in, in the book of Luke, we have, in the gospel of Luke, we have in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name is Mary. And the angel says to her, hail full of grace. And we've discussed this in the past, that that hail full of grace could say highly favored. The Greek could say that, but you always want to give the most exalted meaning. And it doesn't just mean highly favored. It means she who is graced, that is graced in the past, continues in grace and will continue in grace forever. She already has the fullness of grace. She's been prepared by God and, and she's deeply troubled by this. What, why would she be deeply troubled? Well, number one, we're creatures. And yes, the angels are creatures too, but they're very much like God. They're pure spirits, and they're beautiful, and they reflect the glory of God perfectly because in the good angels, there are no obstacles. So when they appear to us, people who have seen angels have been tempted in the Bible to fall down and worship, and the angels say, no, 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 don't do that. I'm just a creature like you. Don't worship me, okay? And we don't worship the Blessed Mother either. She too is a creature. So when Mary sees the angel, yeah, there's, there's, there's this, and, and he says to her, hail full of grace. Well, she's humble. She's she knows that any good in her comes from God. So why is the angel saying this to her? It should be, glory should be given to God. And, and the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God and you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son. And she's deeply troubled. And how can this be since I know not man? Well, that's interesting because Mary is already married. When, when the angel comes to Mary and tells her that she's going to be a mother, She's already betrothed to Joseph. It's a real marriage. They're already married. You know, any normal, natural, yeah, I'm going to have a child when I'm married and I live with my husband. I don't live with him yet, but we will live together. We are already married, um, which the church has always seen. And remember, the church is the true interpreter of scripture, has always seen as the proclamation by Mary that she intended to remain a virgin in her marriage. How can this be since I know not man? She intended to remain a virgin. And by the way, since she was truly married to Joseph and the church sees Mary and Joseph's marriage as a true marriage, Joseph had to know that Mary intended to remain a virgin and he had to agree to that. So the marriage between Mary and Joseph would be a virginal marriage, hence where the church comes forth with the idea of the Josephite marriage, where two people can agree to live together who are married. Two people are united by the sacrament of matrimony, can agree to live together as brother and sister to free themselves for the service of the church. All right? But they live together as brother and sister. They will not have conjugal relations. We get this idea from the marriage of Mary and Joseph, whose marriage is a true marriage. There's a true sharing of all goods between Mary and Joseph. Joseph shares in the prerogatives of the Blessed Virgin Mary by virtue of his marriage to her. 
and and Mary shares in Joseph's life. Okay, and Joseph also was prepared for his role to be the guardian of the virgin and the guardian of the redeemer. God has prepared them with special graces. So he prepared Mary with special graces to be able to accept this announcement that you are the one that I have chosen. And and the angel explains to her, no, you won't have a child through Joseph. You'll have a child because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Hence, the holy offspring to be born of you will be called the Son of God. Or the offspring to be born of you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And she was to name him Jesus, which means Savior. So here Mary, and what does she say? Let it be done to me according to thy word. Now, just to clarify a few things, I mentioned last week, you know, for women of the Old Testament, I was using this particular magazine here that was um, published by Centennial Media. And um, in this, they say that Christians worship, some Christians worship Mary. No, we don't worship Mary and she's not, we don't adore her. Sometimes we use that word adore very loosely. It's used in our modern age in the United States of America in songs, love songs, you know, I worship you and adore you. No, we worship and adore God alone. But Jesus kept all the commandments of God, including the fourth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. And honor in there, that the, the Hebrew word kavadah means to bestow glory upon. So Jesus bestows glory upon his mother, Mary. And so we imitate Jesus and we honor her the way her son honored her. And we could never honor her more than Jesus himself honored her. If we're worshiping her or adoring her, then our devotion to Mary is not true. It's misplaced. We'll be back with more Women of the New Testament on Bible with the Barbers. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, here we are on this Friday, January the 29th, 2021. And we're talking about women of the New Testament. And we're talking about the Blessed Virgin Mary and um, the idea that some people think that Catholics and Christians worship, especially or, you know, the, the Eastern rites of the Catholic Church and the Orthodox, worship Mary. We don't worship Mary, and we don't adore her. She's not God. But according to Sirach 44.1 and then 10 through 15, it says, Now I will praise these godly men, our ancestors, each in his own time. These were godly men whose virtues have not been forgotten. Their wealth remains in their families, their heritage with their descendants. Through God's covenant with them, their family endures their prosperity for their sake. And for all time, their progeny will endure. Their glory will never be blotted out. Their bodies are peacefully laid to rest, but their name lives on and on. At gatherings, their wisdom is retold, and the assembly proclaims their praise. And the Blessed Virgin Mary herself would say, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit exalts in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. For behold, from henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Not that we will worship her. She gives the praise to God. But she is the mother of God. God has exalted her above all other women on earth. 
Years ago, Jerry Mattatix was um, debating with a Protestant minister, a Protestant theologian on Mary and who she is and what her place is. And I wasn't there physically at the debate. I was listening on a radio. I was at home. And, you know, when you're not doing the debate, it's like that. When, I, when I'm not sitting in the hot seat, it's easier for me to think. If someone were to call in on right now and ask me a question, I might not be able to answer it because I might get nervous. And, and so this Protestant minister says, well, Mary was no different than any other Christ, Christ, Christian. She was no other different than any of us. She was, just like a, she was just another dirty rag that God used and threw aside, or just a dirty rag that God used and threw aside. And I remember catching my breath and my eyes just going, oh, what? That's, you're not saying anything about the Blessed Mother right there. You just blaspheme God. What are you saying about God? If you can say that the Blessed Virgin Mary was just a dirty rag that God used and threw aside, you're saying that that's all we are to God is a dirty rag that he uses and throws aside. Wait a minute, stop. Was the humanity of Christ just a dirty rag that, that the Son of God used and threw aside? No. He united that humanity to himself for all of time and for all, once the humanity, once, they create, once God created that human soul of Jesus Christ and it was united to the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Word of God remains the God-man for all eternity. And his humanity is glorified in heaven. So too is the humanity of every human person who cooperates with God's grace and allows God to work in and through them. What does Paul say? I consider the sufferings of the present moment as nothing in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in me in Christ Jesus. And here in in Syriac, what is it saying? At gatherings, their wisdom is retold and the assembly proclaims their praise. So no, we don't worship Mary. We praise the Lord God for the work that he has done in her. And we acknowledge that he has done a work in her that is far beyond the work he has done in any other human being who's just merely human. Now, the human nature of the second of Jesus Christ was united to the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Godhead. So he is truly the God-man. So his human nature is raised way beyond any other human nature, including the human nature of the Blessed Virgin. We understand that. She's not a goddess. She's not, you know, a, a little god. She is a creature, but she's a humble creature who allows God to completely work in and through her to accomplish his goodwill and pleasure. She's not saying, oh yeah, I will do what God wants. I would, she says, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me. I, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let the Lord do whatever he wants. But then she goes on to say, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord and my spirit exalts God, my savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. For behold, from henceforth, all generations will call me blessed because he who is mighty has done great things to me and holy is his name. All the praise goes to God, but nonetheless, she acknowledges that every generation will call her blessed because she is the mother of God. And so there's so much that could be said, obviously. There are books and books written about the Blessed Virgin Mary, who she is, her place in salvation, which is absolutely unique. She is the mother of God. Mothers don't mother natures. They mother persons. And the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Son of God, the Word of God, truly became man in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. She was the first tabernacle of God the Most High, living tabernacle. Yeah, there was the Ark of the Covenant, 
that that had the the Ten Commandments and the manna and the staff of Aaron that that the presence of God would descend upon in the Old Testament. But Mary, God indwells in her. For nine months, she carries God in her womb. And then as a baby, she carries him in her arms. She lives with him for 30 years before he starts his public life. She's living constantly in the presence of God, constantly worshiping him. And so this is Mary. And so Mary, when the angel tells her that her cousin Elizabeth is also conceived a child in her old age, and she who was thought to be sterile is now in her sixth month, Mary makes in haste into the hill country of Judea. And how does Elizabeth respond? Elizabeth is the first one to acknowledge Mary's motherhood, that she's the mother of God. What does Elizabeth say? When Mary's greeting enters Elizabeth's ears, the infant in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. And this is in the Gospel of Luke. And you can look it up in Luke 1. It's about, um, it's before 46. Because in Luke 1, 46 is when Mary prays her Magnificat in response to Elizabeth's proclamation. And Elizabeth says, Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me For the moment your greeting sounded in my ears, the infant in my womb leaped for joy. Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth says, the mother of my Lord. Okay, so Elizabeth acknowledges that Mary is the mother of her Lord, that is the mother of God. So that was, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is Luke 1 verses 41 through 45, okay? And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, was filled. Elizabeth was filled. So in that moment, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and cried out, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Elizabeth acknowledges, this is this another great woman of the New Testament. Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, who is now in her sixth month, an old woman beyond childbearing age, and God has blessed her with a child, and that child is John the Baptist. He is the one who will go before the Savior to prepare a way for him. And so this tremendous surrender to the the work of God, to allow God to work in and through us, to accomplish his goodwill and pleasure. And this is what these women show us, Mary and then Elizabeth. And, And they both acknowledge that this is the work of God. They're not giving glory to themselves. They're not even giving attention to themselves. They're looking to others. Mary didn't come to Zachariah's house to be praised and set on a pedestal and worshiped. She came to Zachariah's house to serve an elderly woman in her pregnancy. Elizabeth is in her sixth month. And when Mary hears of this, she arises in haste and goes into the hill country, which, by the way, we've talked about this before and talking about Mary. There's so many parallels here between the Ark of the Old Covenant being in the hill country of Judea 
for, for three months that David went and found it, and then he was going to bring it to Jerusalem, and then he gets afraid, and so he leaves it in the house of Obed-Edom, and then eventually he comes to, but he leaves it in the house of Obed-Edom in the, in the hill country of Judea for three months. And now Mary goes into the hill country of Judea. The same words are used to express this reality, that there's this connection between the Ark of the Old Covenant and the Ark of the New Covenant. And this is how the fathers of the church saw Mary. She is the Ark of the New Covenant. But Mary and Elizabeth aren't praising themselves, and, and they're not praising each other for their own sake. They're praising God's work in each other. Everything, all the glory goes to God. It is God who does the good work. It is God who begets in us any measure of desire or accomplishment. But we have to allow him to do the work. So it's not godly to go around saying, oh, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I can't be a saint. I'm such a sinner. All of that is focused on me, 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 me. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. You know, when we screw up, the enemy right away gets us to start thinking negative thoughts about ourselves and we get deeper and deeper into the, just who we are. The, we're nothing. And well, you know what? God made us and he wants to make us saints. And all we have to do is say, you know what, Lord? I sinned and I'm sorry for my sin. And I ask you to redeem it. We need to turn to the Lord and ask him to fill us with his grace and his mercy. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to inspire us, to allow us, to allow him to work in us, to accomplish what is his goodwill and pleasure. So Mary shows us, and it's interesting, all those women of the Old Testament that we talked about last week are prefigurements of Mary in their fidelity and their willingness to do the impossible to, to trust the Lord when everybody else around them is shaking in their boots and terrified. And even when they were afraid, Esther, remember, she's, she's afraid. Read the book of Esther. She is afraid. She's, she's, if I go into the presence of the king and he doesn't accept me, he'll kill me. He, that's his power. I, he can't, I can't go unless he summons me. And, and her uncle tells her, look, God put you in this palace to intercede for your people because your people are going to be killed and you'll be among them because you're a Jew too. So Esther prays and she fasts. And we, we talked about that last week. But again, here's Mary and here's Elizabeth keeping the commandments of God, allowing God to work in and through them according to his goodwill and pleasure to bring about his work. Thank you for joining us here on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, January the 29th. And we'll be back to close up this section of this Bible study today. Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for your prayers and your support. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you again for joining us on this Friday, January 29th. Um, and we're talking about women of the New Testament. Last week, we spoke of women of the Old Testament. If you like this show, please share it. Uh, tell your friends, your neighbors, your family, everybody. If you want a Bible study once a week, you can listen to the podcast. We've talked about a lot of great topics. You can go through and listen to whatever podcast you want. Virgin Most Powerful Radio has a free app in the App Store. You can go on your iPhone or you can go to our website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org, or you can listen on YouTube or Facebook. And um, it's a Bible study once a week, okay? And granted, this hour goes faster than I have time to cover everything I want to cover. But we're talking about some of the women, the great women of the New Testament. Last week, we spoke of women of the Old Testament. We covered four, five of them in, in particular, four, three of whom have a book of the, of the Bible named after them. 
Esther, Judith, and Ruth. And um, then we had the, the Deborah, the, the judge. And then there was the woman in the story of Deborah who had saved um, Israel by killing the king who was escaping, which I don't remember all the details this week. I'm sorry. But and this week, we're not going to be able to cover all the women of the New Testament. So we've talked about the Blessed Virgin Mary, who is, of course, the woman who is the model of all womanhood and um, a great reading for every all women in this world and for all men to read to understand the vocation of women is the dignity and vocation of women which was written by john paul ii now saint john paul ii but um in the in the gospel of of mark or excuse me luke luke 8 we have this um luke 8 in chapter in verse um well i'll read one through three Soon afterwards, he went on through the cities and villages, preaching and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdala, Magdalene, Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stuart, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And so these women followed Jesus. And people say, well, Jesus was, you know, he couldn't ordain women or he couldn't do this or he couldn't do that. And he couldn't set up a church this way or that because he didn't, it wasn't according to the social norms of his times. Well, Jesus didn't exactly um, coincide with the social norms of his times. He touched lepers. He touched sick people. Uh, he, he ate with sinners. Um, he went into the tax collector's homes and ate with them. He, he let a sinful woman touch him. You know, if, if the Lord, if he knew what kind of a woman this was, he'd ne- if he was really a prophet, he would never let her touch him. Now, he didn't, nobody said that out loud, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. So what is it about women? The gospel refers to a number of times to women accompanying our Lord. Here, St. Luke gives us the names of three of them. Mary called Magdalene, to whom the risen Christ appeared beside the Holy Sepulcher, and you can look at John 20, 11 through 18, and Mark 16, 9. Joanna, a lady of some position, whom we also meet among the women who went to the tomb on the morning of the resurrection, Luke 24, 10, and Susanna, whom the gospel does not mention again. The role of these women consisted in helping Jesus and his disciples out of their own resources, thereby showing their gratitude for what Christ had done for them and in cooperating in his ministry. Men and women enjoy equal dignity within the church. Within the context of their equality, women certainly have specific characteristics which must necessarily be reflected in their role in the church. All the baptized, men and women alike, share equally in the dignity, freedom, and responsibility of the children of God Women are called to bring the family, excuse me, women are called to bring to the family, to society, and to the church characteristics which are their own and which they alone can give. The gentle warmth and untiring generosity, their love for detail, their quick wittedness and intuition, their simple and deep piety, their constancy. A woman's femininity is genuine only if she is aware of the beauty of this contribution for which there is no substitute and if she incorporates it into her own life. The gospel makes special reference to the generosity of these women. It's nice to know that our Lord availed of their charity, 
that they responded to him with such refined and generous detachment that Christian women feel filled with a holy and fruitful envy. And the quote is from, that quote is from uh, Escrivere's The Way, number 981. The previous quote on the dignity of women and um, no substitute for her, for her particular gifts and beauty, if, and if only she will incorporate those into her own life, is from um, Escrivere's In Conversation with God, numbers 14 and 87. So what's the point here? These women accompanied Jesus and the apostles, which, by the way, was not something that was done in Jewish society. Women didn't accompany rabbis as they walked around and taught. But Jesus had, and these women, now Jesus was God. He could have miraculously provided for all of the needs of the apostles and himself, right? But he allows these women, and these are women of some wealth, and they follow him and they provide for he, for Jesus and the apostles out of their own sources. So Jesus and the apostles are free to do their ministry as priests, Jesus is the high priest and he's making his apostles priests. They're priests in training until the last supper when they're ordained. And these, so these women are providing for the high priest, Jesus, and his seminarians as he trains them and walks about and works miracles. And he does work the miracle of feeding twice. He feeds large crowds, one with 4,000 men, one with 5,000 men. But he allows these women to provide for the needs of himself and his apostles out of their means. So God allows us all to share in the mission of the church according each to the, to the mission that God has given to each of us. God has given to each one of us a mission in the building up of the kingdom of God. St. John Henry Newman would say, God has given to you a work to do that he's given to no one else. You have a work to do in the building up of the kingdom of God that God has given to no one else. And, and so, but we have to do it according to what is our place. Jesus didn't ordain women to the priesthood, to the ministerial priesthood. He reserved that for men alone. That doesn't mean that women are of less dignity. That doesn't mean that women don't do their part in the building up the kingdom of God. What was the ancient saying? That the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world? Women have a special place in the family. And in the church, as St. Therese of Lisieux said, to be in the heart of church, to be in the heart of the church, love. That was her vocation, to love, to, to be that love. And, and again, you know, women have this, they have this untiring generosity, this gentle warmth, an attention to details. Okay, oftentimes women can't see the forest for the trees. We get lost in the details. But at the same time, oftentimes, men cannot see the trees for the forest. And this is especially true in taking care of children, you know? Um, the, the old joke about um, mom is out, and she's like, maybe I better call and make sure everything's at home. Honey, what are you worried about? That your, your husband's watching the kids. I know, that's why I'm nervous. You know, they don't see the details, and that often happens in life. The men, they don't, but women do. But don't get caught up in them. Don't make it a, a point of contention. But it's a important to pay attention to the details. So these women were there and they're serving the needs of the apostles and Jesus in gratitude for God for what he has done. And it says that Jesus had cured them of, of demons and that seven demons had gone out from Mary Magdalene and other, other maladies. Well, when they say seven demons, that doesn't necessarily mean seven illnesses. You know, 
Jesus Christ came, first of all, to free us from sin. He didn't come to create an earthly paradise. So these women have been freed from the power of sin, from the tyranny of fear and the domination of a world where they're maybe beaten down and treated like less than, less than who they are as children of God and sisters of Christ. And now Jesus Christ treats them with a dignity and he, he elevates them to a dignity that's equal to men, but they realize they have a different calling. They're not vying to become priests. The Blessed Mother isn't out there rallying to become a priest. She serves the church, and she's there at Pentecost. So after, you know, she's there at the beginning when Jesus is conceived because she's the mother. And then after Jesus dies, she remains to nurture the early church, even as she nurtured her son. Now she's to nurture his church. So she's left behind to nurture the church. And these women serve the church out of their means. And there'll be other women who are mentioned in the New Testament. Um, Lydia, the maker of purple goods. Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is Aquila's wife. And they go around preaching the gospel. So yes, there were women who were helping in the building up of the church, but not as priests. They were serving in their capacity as women, in their femininity. And that's why it's so important. Read the, the dignity and vocation of women. It's a really beautiful letter from Pope John Paul II on the dignity and vocation of women. And it really helps us to understand the role of women. What is our role? It's not second class. It's different, but it's equal and it's important. God made women in his image. It's not that God is male and female. We, God reveals himself as father and he has a son. And the Trinity is Father, Son, and Spirit. It's a community of persons, of love and life, okay? But in the, in the Trinity, there's fatherhood and sonship and the essence of the family, which is love. And it's not that the Holy Spirit is like a mother in the family. It's that a mother in the family resembles the Holy Spirit in her capacity to love, to be love in the heart of the family. The husband is the head of the family as Christ is the head of his church. And the woman is the heart of the family the source from which the love flows. And it's the two of them working together in a complementarity. And this is how these women in the New Testament show us. They're working together with the men to serve the kingdom of God, to build up God's kingdom on earth, to allow God to work in and through them, to accomplish his will and to build up his kingdom. They're not there to do their own will. They're there to do God's will. They're not there to tell God he shouldn't have made them women. He should have made them some androgynous being, that, that there's no difference between men and women. No, they're there to acknowledge their femininity and their unique gift to the church as woman. So, no, we didn't cover every woman in the Old Testament. No, we didn't cover every woman in the New Testament. But maybe we can come back to this periodically and talk about some of the other women in the Old Testament and the New Testament and see how they served, how they recognized their femininity and the unique gift that their femininity is to the church and the world. And by the way, when the world and the church loses the view of the difference between man and woman, there's a breakdown of what God has made. So what God has joined together, man must not divide. God made us the way he made us, and we praise him for that. We give glory to his holy name. We want to join the Blessed Mother, St. Elizabeth, and all the women of the New Testament who praise the Lord by their lives. God has called us to be saints. 
We ask him every day to make us saints, and we pray for the grace of final perseverance. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Please like this and share it, and join us again next week.